0: Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso And I'm Ann Friedman. Uh, we are live today from Washington DC, where we are attending the United States of Women's Summit. Yeah, we we spent a long and interesting
1: day. <laughs> At the summit, thanks to the generosity of the Harnish Foundation.
0: Yeah, thanks to uh, the Harnish Foundation for uh, getting us here. It was a a full, it was a very packed and exciting day. This week on our agenda, we'll discuss the summit that we are attending and we'll highlight some key conversations with uh, some pretty rad people like... Uh, well, Valerie Jarrett, who
1: is a senior advisor to President Barack Obama and a long term BFF of the president's. Um, she is also chair of the White House Council on Women and Girls. Um, we're also going to talk to Renee Bracy Sherman, who is an advocate for destigmatizing abortion and who was at the summit. In, just like a top babe. <laughs> and also a top babe. Who, and also at the summit in a really earth shattering piece of clothing. And um, also Kim Gandhi, who is the president and CEO of the national network to end domestic violence um, and some other awesome advocates from that organization.
0: Okay, so what is it? What was this summit all about, man? The summit was a lot. <laughs> um, you know, I guess at its core, it's this um, summit that was convened by the White House and specifically the office that Valerie Jarrett heads, which is the White House Council on Women and Girls. I guess like maybe she explains it like to us in a way that just like made more sense to me as part of the white house legacy like building in this space but also a way to convene people from both government and the civil sector into aligning in like specific like policy and communication goals for the kind of work that affects women and girls in all different spheres And can you like describe the I have not been to many things like this. I need you to like describe for people who were not there the vibe of what a women's summit.
1: I have not been to many of these things either. It was in some ways one of those like things you see on the Internet with like a bunch of like big name capital F feminists gathered in a room to make speeches. But it was also, um, you know, a big convention center of 5000 mostly women uh advocates and government folks and um i don't know private sector people who were um and are engaged in all this all the stuff that the council on women and girls cares about namely women and girls
0: (laughs) i know but you know it's like the crowd was like very diverse i was really that was really amazing to me to see like so many women of color just everywhere like running the show like, and all, you know, like, all ages of women also. I thought the intergenerational component of this was really interesting and uh, I was like, everybody is so fired up. It's, <laughs> I am not in many rooms where I feel like I am the least energetic person <laughs> there. And this was definitely one of those things.
1: <laughs> yes. So many joiners, so many like active, like people who are dedicating their lives to the stuff that they care about, not just like talking about it, but actively doing it and starting organizations. And, yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. And, and, and it's just like every level, right? It's like everywhere you turn, it's like, Oh, here's a convers- like a conversation about health. Like here's a conversation about like economic violence. Here's a, like you know it's like how many people discuss like female genital mutilation today? I was like, oh man, like if if you care about like issues that surround women, like this was the place to be today. <laughs> there are all these different pillars like violence against women, health and wellness, economic issues and uh, it's probably best for you to listen to Valerie Jarrett telling in her own words.
2: I'm Valerie Jarrett and I am a senior advisor to President Obama and I chair the White House Council on Women and Girls.
0: Great, um, you know, I guess our first question for you is why hold the summit now? And kind of if you want to tell us what part of your legacy in the White House like this fulfills.
2: Well, we're holding the summit now because we're seven and a half years in. The president created the White House Council on Women and Girls in March of his first year, and so we've had time to make progress in six of the key areas that we're focusing on here today, and it's everything from education to sexual assault, entrepreneurship and innovation, health care, a whole range of issues that are important to women and girls. So we want to put forth the progress that we've made in all of those areas. And then we also want to put the spotlight on the work that lies ahead. So we figure we still have over seven months left. And as the president says, really big things happen in that fourth quarter. So it's a good time to take stock and then charge for the work ahead. So there are a lot of
1: women here. A lot there of people are a here. A whole lot
2: of women here. Over just, five thousand <laughs> folks. We have a party and everybody came. <laughs> oh my god. And and also you just named like a whole bunch
1: of really big issues. Yes. And if you when when you guys thought about what you wanted to happen going forward coming out of this summit, mm-hmm. is there a concrete thing
2: that you're hoping to happen? Yes, well I think what we're hoping is in, in many of the areas that I described that people have a chance to take stock of where we are and then have a roadmap for the work to go. So I'll give you a good example. There's a whole basket of issues we call working family issues, whether it's uh, raising the minimum wage, equal pay for equal work, uh, child care that's affordable, workplace flexibility, paid leave, paid sick leave. These are the kinds of issues that are so important to working families, not just women. And we are beginning to move the needle in those areas. So, for example, over uh, 48 cities and counties have raised their minimum wage. All right, that's a big deal since the president called for it. We have 24 cities and towns that have put in place paid sick days. The United States has 43 million people that don't have a single sick day. And that affects women disproportionately because they are the ones that stay home with the kids when their kids are sick. Uh, we have 21 um, cities and counties that now have paid leave again, another four states that have passed these. So when you look at these metrics, you see that we're really moving the needle and we want to continue to build that momentum. And frankly, in all those areas, we need the federal government, we need Congress to act. But in their failure to act, we're moving our efforts to the private sector, who's also stepped up in a big way, and cities and states around the country. So it's a good example of where you can see where we are, you see the cities and states that haven't taken action, and then we can launch campaigns and figure out where to go from there.
0: You know, one thing that's been amazing seeing here is that, like we mentioned, there are so many women that are here. There's such a huge international contingent. There women have come from all over the country. I guess for those of us who are just civilians attending this, what do you, like, what can we leave with and what are, like, concrete points of action that we can take?
2: Want, that's such a good question. It is! Because I want you to feel empowered. Everybody can do something. And so find out what's the issue that you care passionately about and then in your community go back and make a difference. And so we can be whatever you find interesting. If you find it's, you know, help a young woman aspire to go to college. So many of our young people need mentors. So go to your local public school and talk to the senior girls and tell them what you do and tell them how you know your life evolved. People can't be what they can't see. And every woman has the ability to go and give back and be a mentor to somebody younger. That's just a simple thing anyone can do. Add your voice to issues like sexual assault on college campuses. So many people who are living in communities where there are colleges and universities. Get involved on that campus. Help highlight the devastating impact that sexual assault when one in five women are sexually assaulted has on the lives of our young people. And so just pick an area that you care about and spread the word. So many women don't know, for example, that under the Affordable Care Act, you're now eligible for preventive services without any copay. It can be uh, screening, it can be contraception, it can be counseling for domestic violence. Every woman now has that ability under the Affordable Care Act to have those services help get the word out about that. So there's. I want every girl and woman who's tuning in or being here today to leave with a lift in her step with a sense, I have agency to go and affect change, not only in my own life, but in the lives of others.
1: Do you think that some of these messages
2: are more important for men to be hearing than women in some cases? I think it's. I think we need both men and women focusing on this. And I'm so glad you brought up men because we need their engagement. Still, um, we have the vast majority of businesses that are run by men. And so if we talk about the importance of a working family agenda, we need men to appreciate that. So I was doing an interview earlier with the CEO of Johnson and Johnson. Now, Johnson and Johnson is a household name. Any with a baby knows about Johnson and Johnson. You use their products. But what he said is, I have to not just advertise what I'm producing. I have to have policies that indicate I understand how important families are. And so he's greatly expanded his paternity and maternity policies. He gets it. And we need to have men who are in positions of power who appreciate that by creating an environment where the 21st century worker can thrive in this 21st century workplace, then that's going to be good for everybody.
0: On our show, we talk a lot about female role models and kind of the the space that friendship holds and the bonds that a lot of women have. Can you tell us about some inspiring women in your life?
2: Oh my gosh, I have so many. I begin with my mom, who always worked when I was young. Uh, but she always made it clear that I was her first priority. And when I would call her when uh, she was working, they would always go and find her. And that sense that I was a priority and that she valued me and took care of me, and in addition to being a busy, professional woman, was a great role model for me to have. And so today my daughter is here with me, and I've tried to do the same for her. So she's now a young lawyer, and she took the day off, although I think she's multitasking over there. Um but I really, I mean, I feel like uh, it starts at home. And so the mentors that we have most approximately are the people we love the most. And so for me, it's been my mom and now my daughter. Uh, I've also had the benefit of having women mentors who... Took an interest in me when I was practicing law. I was at a law firm and I was able to have four months paid maternity leave because a couple of the partners who were women before me had had children. And so they insisted that the policies be changed, and I just benefited greatly from having that. And I think of so many women around our country and the world who do not, who can't take off a single day after they've had a baby. That's not good for our society. And so that's again what we have to get men and women to understand is is that these are investments in people that will translate into strengthening our economy. So it's not just the nice thing to do, it's a must do
1: we have time for one more yeah sure okay Um, so we also we say that we're a podcast for long distance besties everywhere but you work with and for one of your best friends I do the president so what is it I guess what is it like to work for someone who is also a very close friend
2: it's such a pleasure it's such a pleasure because I trust him completely he knows I'm only looking out for him and I know he looks out for me and we're, I mean, I've now known both the President and the First Lady for 25 years this summer. I think this month, actually. And so before they we've married. And so that legacy just gives you a sense of confidence in one another that makes it uh, so rewarding. And we share... The same values and the same priorities for our country. This White House Council on Women and Girls is something that the president has supported since day one. He was raised by a single mom, and I'm a single mom, and so he knows what it's like to see someone struggling, trying to make everything balance. And you know, and I had resources, and again, there's so many women out there who don't. And so the issues that uh, we've been able to work on together. Uh, have just been it's just been so rewarding to really not just trust but to love the person that you work with and I say the culture we have in the White House uh, the hardest thing about leaving here will be really the people that I've just grown to love over our time together where we've shared highs and lows and that's when you really find out what people are made of and I will tell you on a personal note to end it in the last seven and a half years there just hasn't been a single day when I have not been proud, so proud, to work for this president. And I'll miss that a lot, too. I'm about to make thank myself you. cry.
0: Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so you much for joining us. You are and, welcome. And um, thank you for all your hard work over the past eight years. Thank it's you. been a pleasure. Thank
2: yeah. you. i give you a hug. Oh, thank <laughs> I was so good. You. you guys oh. are great.
3: Thank you. for doing it.
1: I do, maybe this is not the place for it, but I do want to have a conversation about the sort of inherent weirdness of being at like a really big empowerment conference that clearly like we were able to attend. Yeah. Like we were able to attend because we have the support of a really awesome foundation. Um, But like, obviously not everyone can attend and that's by nature what a lot of these conferences are yeah we talked a lot about how we felt kind of weird about that
0: yeah you're right like it was weird because one like how many times the word like empowerment was bandied around so many times we're woke so like to us there is there is a very distinct like a difference between like feminism and empowerment and this is one of those events that like really blurs the lines <laughs> for you in in many ways but you know i think that like we discussed during the day like kind of our meta running commentary of this i feel really uncomfortable like being in spaces that are very just like cis het spaces for something that is supposed to be like very radical, like some of it felt like very business as usual, you know, I'm like to get vulnerable, like that's a hard space for me. I just, I want to make more room in my life for queerness and different kinds of expressions of family and, uh, and just like what it means to be a woman in the world today. And in some ways, like, you know, this conference was really radical in the sense that, like, there are women from all over the world. And it was like, that's cool. And a thing that would have been, like, really hard to do years ago. And in other ways, it's like, yay, like, straight women patting ourselves on the back again, you know, like, straight privileged women patting ourselves on the back. And that, um, you know, like, that's something that I feel like I need to reflect on for a couple of days.
1: Yeah, and it's also a thing where, I mean, I struggle with the fact that, Obviously, very powerful people who care about women and girls who have access to lawmakers and like all of the power of the White House and some of the biggest corporations can affect great positive change. Like, I believe that that is true, but I also believe that those are kind of places where you're not likely to find the voices that have been most traditionally marginalized within feminism and like in the world, full stop. And so it's this interesting thing of saying like, can, and what is like, let's be real, like kind of just an empowerment conference actually do great things and inspire the people who are there and people who maybe aren't there to do great things. Or is it just propping up power structures that already exist?
0: Right. Like, and I, and I think that, like, it's it's a little bit of both, right? And, like, that's the tension that's there. It's, like, even for us, like, being confronted with, like, the privilege of being able to attend and the kind of access that we have, you know, like, that was possible because, um, because of this, like, generous gift from the Harnish Foundation and, like, us being able to take time off of work and, you know, also the, like, connections and years that we've built. But there's... Not like, not everybody can be in that room. You know, there are 5,000 people there and I was like, we need like 5 million people here. And and that was something that was like, for me at least was like hard. It's like, like I'm gonna have to think about this a lot, like the spaces that I have access to and, and how to like, in a thoughtful way, like have more people at the table and like represent a diversity of ideas as well.
1: Yeah, I think it can be hard to show up and feel really, really enthusiastic about what's possible at a summit like that, while at the same time remaining really critical about what perspectives you aren't hearing and what things you are hearing reinforced over and over again. Like that's a really delicate balance.
0: No, totally. You know, and I think that one thing too, that was interesting is that Um, so much of the messages that we heard today, I was like, yes, I know this. Like, I'm not the person who needs to hear this. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Like, man, like I would love to hear like uh, Joe Biden. I was called, I almost called him John Biden, (laughs) (laughs) evil twin, like Joe Biden. Like, Talk to a room of five thousand men about why it's not okay to rape women. You know, like I'm like that's what I want to hear. I want to hear like the president like tell a room full of men CEOs that maybe they should pay women the same. I'm like you don't you don't have to yell this stuff at me. Like I agree. (laughs) Or I would love to hear
1: yes. Or I would love to hear the conversation about like paid leave and things to enable working families without the assumption being it's like. A man and a woman and 2.5 kids and a dog. You know what I mean? Like, like, like those issues are obviously different in like families that do not look like. Yeah
0: that yeah but you know but it's also like a sobering you know because I think that like sometimes in my own cynicism of like oh why are we not making enough progress in the world like our grandmas like marched for this like why like well not my, my grandma. grandmas did not march like yeah. not my grandma but some very progressive ladies grandma <laughs> somebody's like, grandma marched <laughs> like fought for this. but you know I'm just like oh I'm like how many years has it been and we haven't passed the ERA and how you know like I just sometimes I get so bogged down in it and just I like a thing that Michelle Obama said when she was speaking to Oprah. And she was like, you know, and she was like, Oprah was like, uh, what do you want people to walk away with here? And, you know, and Michelle went straight to the young people today, no patience, and said, the work always continues. And I was like, no, you know, like, in, in a weird way, this continuum of issues is never going to go away. And I realized that some of it for me, it's like how young I am and my own impatience, at, like why? It's like, why haven't we fixed this? But also realizing that, yeah, some of these things actually will never be fixed completely and we have to work at them. But I think that in tandem, there are also nuanced conversations that we can have. And I think that like a lot of times that's the frustration that I have is I'm like, this is also 101. Like we there's so many other like deeper issues that we need to get to and we can't get to them until these like very basic needs are met. Right. You're like the 40 years ago goal of like,
1: like passing the ERA is like, it's still there. But then also we have like all of these new ideas about who should be centered in our activism. And it's like, how do you reconcile those when the old work isn't done either?
0: Yeah, you know, but also like, to be clear, there were some incredibly like powerful feminist moments. Like, I realize that all of my, like, pride, America pride, like, jingoistic feels for me all rise up when I see Nancy Pelosi. I'm like, that's my Congresswoman. (laughs) And I just, like, never feel that about anyone. But every time I see her, it's just, like, heart swells with pride. I'm like, I live in your district. You're the best. Yeah, there was a moment
1: when all these women, um, members of Congress, filled the stage and kind of filed in. And they, like, they look... Like, I mean, they're like a diverse group of women. They like, you know, they look like the kind of people I want representing me in Congress. I also got very emotional yeah, at that Yeah, it's moment.
0: like Nancy like rolls deep with all the ladies in Congress. <laughs> and you know, I'm not kidding. I was like, uh, You know, on one hand, I'm like so cynical about all this stuff. And now I'm like full body chills. There is Donna Edwards and like everybody mm. on stage. But also like, who knew that the most feminist maybe moment of the day would come from Barack Obama? Like his speech was incredible and there's so many moments where just like you know it's like heart swells with pride like maybe the future will be okay and he and he did touch on some like really deep like nuanced themes like you know bringing up single ladies i'm like when else has a president ever quoted charlie chisholm and audrey lord in the same speech never mm-hmm. happened before the audrey lord quote i was like stop me dead like i need to hold on to something Oh yeah i'm like, like definitely <laughs> like next tattoo like so you know like oh. it's like i was like "Ooh, which wrist is it going on um yeah you know where there, there's just these like really incredibly like powerful moments and it's so affirming to like have a president who's who says like yes like this is really messed up and look at all the progress that we're making and also like this is going to be better for my daughters you know and so i thought that that was interesting too was like hearing his frame around um like progress for women like seen through the lens of like watching his daughters grow up which is such a incredibly like you know i'm sure like very powerful moment as a parent and then there are also the places where i stop myself and go well this generation of women or previous generations, like it's not like we didn't want it as bad as these women that are coming after us is that they were like real obstacles. Yeah. And unless you lift the obstacles, it doesn't matter how hard you want it. Right. And so that's, that's always the tension. It's like, how much is it like that your personal empowerment and how hard you lean in versus no, there's like an actual wage gap. (laughs) I was (laughs) also struck by
1: how many of the things that Obama listed in his speech were, identical to a lot of the things on his to-do list when he was inaugurated eight years ago. Like, it's pretty depressing. I know there's a lot like, you know, yeah, Congress is pretty terrible and he has not had like a lot of easy stuff to work with. And there have also been a lot of really big victories, but yeah, there was just certain things. Like, I'm just like, I don't want to spend the rest of my life listening to a president be like, and we need paid family leave. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I just like, I've like, yeah. I am not that old. And I feel like I just have been hearing that forever.
0: Yeah. Or even just to look back at the affordable care act. Right. And be like, Oh my God, like this was m- like monumental legislation. But also, like, why should we be so thankful that we finally have a human, like, basic right, right that's given to us, right? And it's, like, that's the thing that is, like, very jarring. It's, like, I, it, yeah, like, we have a lot of friends that, like, fought for the ACA and, like, all well, these things. and it's things, not even know? right. You still got to pay for it. No, exactly, right? <laughs> but I'm just, like, it's, like, here's, like, one tangible, like, very progressive victory, but, like, look at the price that it came at and how hard that was to do. Right. It's like one thing that we definitely notice that um, is something that's like an important value system for us, I guess, is access to like contraceptives and like safe abortion care. Yeah. What word didn't we hear at this at this? Right. And it's like and it's crazy. It's like you can be in a room full of like very progressive, like liberal, rah, rah, you know, like people who are no longer afraid to talk about like general mutilation and rape in like very real ways. And abortion still the like ugly step sibling that we cannot bring up oh yeah so so to that end we
1: noticed a, a woman at the summit who was wearing a dress printed with the word that none of the people there seemed to want to say and so we had to talk to her
4: <laughs> um, my name is Renee Bracey Sherman um, and I'm a reproductive justice activist and I'm a professional abortion haver <laughs> We both wanted to talk
1: to you because we love the work that you do. However, Thank you were very visible today because of what you were wearing. <laughs> Maybe you can describe for people who are listening what you're wearing.
4: Well, I'm wearing a white uh, shift dress with pockets that says abortion and has hearts all over it. Um, so I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> and not, Like a step and repeat abortion. Yeah, like,
1: like the word yes. abortion all over. All over.
0: which is like really refreshing and rad so you know like I don't know it's like even at a conference like this where there are 5,000 women here and everybody is so rah-rah empowered it's very rare to find somebody who is (laughs) excited about talking about abortion and I you know I think that for us that's also why we wanted to talk to
4: you today I wake up very excited to talk about abortion every single day and I'm glad that you all liked my dress because everybody looks so fly here it's really awesome so
1: is there a reason that you specifically wanted to wear this dress to this event
4: yeah so um, when I looked at the agenda for this summit um, I was really excited because there are some amazing speakers on it um, and some great topics that we're talking about. But the one that's most near and dear to my heart um, and that one in three women will experience before they're 45 is not is left off of it, and that's abortion. Um, there's definitely a section on economics and health care. And you know, we just heard uh, Cecile Richards speak, um, talk about reproductive health care. But there's not an actual panel or anything specifically in the agenda about abortion and as someone who's had an abortion that's really frustrating to me because I truly believe that my abortion was core to um, me being able to make the decisions in my future um, my economic opportunity and my ability to just do so much whether it is um, finish school or to in the future have a family the way that I want to when I want to.
1: So, I'm curious
4: about whether
1: you. I mean, obviously, this is probably a pretty pro choice crowd, a pretty pro abortion rights crowd. Why do you think it was like not loud and front and center?
4: Well, you know, even in um, spaces that are super supportive of abortion, um, abortion stigma still exists. Um, sometimes people are afraid to talk about it, sometimes um, folks or just kind of leave it off the agenda because it's just, oh, it's that fringe issue, um, and they want to try to reach the masses, but the masses are having abortions. Um, The masses are talking about abortion, especially in a political year. Um, And as much as I love, I love Mismel Obama, I really do, but he has has, um, kept the Hyde Amendment in place and the Helms Amendment in place um, every single year, and if he is pro-choice... He's not really being pro choice because he is actually denying access to abortion um, to a lot of folks, both around the world with the Helms Amendment um, and to folks who are on Medicaid with the Hyde Amendment. And that's not what we should be working towards here. We should be making sure that everyone has access to abortion when they need it. I think one of the things that we can do is to talk about it openly, and for me as someone who's had an abortion to be extremely visible, and in particular to be visible for other women of color. um, That's something that when I was young, I didn't see a lot of folks who've had abortions, um, much less folks of color. And so um, I wanna talk about it and I wanna be open and um, you just won't stop me from talking about my abortion, (laughs) especially in a place like this.
1: For people who are listening and are not 100% familiar with the Hyde and Helms amendments, do you have like a quick and dirty on what those are?
4: Yeah, so there are federal bans that prevent folks um, from accessing abortion with their insurance um, because federal dollars are not allowed to be used to pay for abortion. So domestically, anyone who's enrolled in Medicaid, on the Indian Health Services, um, who's incarcerated um, in the military service, they have health insurance, but they actually cannot use it to cover abortions, which is... Horrible, because people need them. The Helms Amendment, um, its sister, is the international version, and so federal funds cannot be used for abortion internationally. And we actually know that abortion is extremely safe when done correctly. Um, but one of the um, one of the reasons a lot of women die is that during maternal health issues, but also unsafe abortion, and so by restricting our funds from being used for safe abortion we're actually contributing to folks dying around the world
0: so so this morning there was a uh, a couple of activists here were protesting the Helms Amendment specifically, um, can you tell us a little bit more about what they're asking for from the federal government? Yeah,
4: there were some badass folks outside. Um, ReproAction, Aaron Matson, and Pamela Merritt um, lead that organization as well as uh, Amnesty International and an organization called Change. And they were actually calling on the Obama administration that, you know, this is his last year and he could actually do something with the Helms Amendment, um, change the way that it's interpreted um, because it's, I think, the administration and many administrations before are using a broad interpretation that is denying abortion access. Um, and so they're saying, you know, it's on him that he can make a change. And so you can see all their photos at hashtag it's on him. Um, but yeah, the folks at ReproAction are doing some amazing stuff, calling out the abortion stigma within the pro-choice community and within the administration. There are things that they can do now, um, that they're not doing. And on the democratic side are both presidential candidates that are still running, um, have vowed to repeal Hyde and Helms, um, when they get into office. So, you know, hopefully this will be a thing of the past. September is the 40th anniversary of the Hyde amendment it's 40 years too long. It's got to go. Shameful. Very shameful.
0: I guess to, to go back to abortion stigma specifically, which is something I think that you, uh, That's kind of how I found out about you and and who you were and the work that you were doing. But can you tell us more about beyond just, you know, attending events like this and talking about it? What are really concrete things that um, like we can do to support you in the work
4: that you're doing? Yeah, well, so I had my abortion when I was 19, but for six years after it, I did not talk about it at all. Um, I grew up in a family that was very pro-choice. Um, we had the Planned Parenthood donation envelopes around the house, so I knew that we supported um, Planned Parenthood and supported access to abortion, and yet I still felt scared um, to talk to my family. And so one of the things um, I encourage people to talk about is that their values around Um, reproductive autonomy and decision-making. Be open about your values to make sure that everyone has access to abortion and adoption and parenting, especially for young parents. So really talk about it um, and not just during, you know, when Donald Trump says something asinine, talk about it um, with the loved ones in your life about um, why you support someone's reproductive autonomy and why you support access to abortion I think that's one of the easiest steps that folks can do Um, and then I think the second quite easy step is that when you're open about it and you talk about this someone will see that you're supportive and want to share their story with you so be there ready to listen and support them and Give them an unconditional love is, and help. Um,
1: is part of this too? I mean, I, I when you were talking about your family being pro-choice, I was thinking about women I know who have had abortions who are who have a really pro-choice community around them, whether it's friends or family, who say things like, "Oh, I feel like I should have known better than to like need an abortion," or have have some stigma that's actually related to being pro-choice, <laughs> as opposed. And I'm wondering if that's something that you've encountered.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of feel like, oh, I should have known better. I shouldn't have, um, shouldn't have let the condom break or shouldn't have missed those pills. But we're human. We make mistakes. Things happen. Where are all the many places that we can find you on the Internet? And how can we support your work? Awesome. Yeah, you can find me kind of all over the Internet. at Renee Bracey um, or where I work at the National Network of Abortion Funds, which is fundabortionnow.org. And of course, on Twitter, our Bracey Sherman um, and Facebook, Renee Bracey Sherman. I wouldn't say you can support my work. That's great. But also I think, um, really just to be open and talk about abortion and support the people in your life who've had an abortion. Cause, um, that was me many years ago. And
1: finally, where did you procure this abortion print
4: dress? <laughs> yes. So, um, Amelia Benow, who started, started shout your abortion. Um, she had one, had them made, And so I got mine at a, um, conference, but they're available online. um, Called the website's called Print All Over Me. Um, and Or if you just Google abortion dress and, like, <laughs> you know, Martha Plimpton or Renee Bracey Sherman or Amelia Van Al, you'll see photos of it. You'll find a link, it'll be there. Uh, Renee, thank you so much. Thank you for having thanks me. Thanks for joining us. Yay, thanks.
1: Okay, so the whole day was way behind schedule because one of the first big keynote speakers was Vice President Joe Biden. Who,
0: like, did not have a clock. He just, like, went for it. (laughs) Like, there was no... And yeah, and and it was a very interesting speech, right, where it's, like, parts of it I was like, yes, and other parts of it is, like, cringe. What is happening here? Which are generally my Joe Biden feelings, so... I felt I mean, like that was fair.
1: I feel like that's generally the experience of someone and I don't know what the age threshold is and I don't know. I mean like typically it's like a man who is like of a certain age who is like generally of the right political persuasion or like on a, in agreement about certain important issues but like something about the way he talks about them is just a little bit like uh, that's that's the feeling that I had about part of that. Although like fundamentally like everything that
0: he's saying like i agree with wholeheartedly you know like something that we have not discussed on the podcast was the stanford rape case and the really powerful victim impact statement that the young woman involved in the case wrote you know that like essentially like broke the internet reading that like destroyed me for a day but reading like Joe biden's response to her where he called her a warrior and like spine of steel and and all these things like that was i like that was a very powerful moment for me where it was like our vice president like cares enough about rape victims that like he will take a stand on this. And so, you know, that's generally my qualifying statements were like, yes, like heart in the right place. Like this is great. But there were some really disconcerting moments in his speech, you know, where he just like these like very graphic retellings of, Sexual assaults, which to me was, I was like, this is very triggering. I don't know. I don't know why we're going into detail for a room full of women who, like, who have experienced a lot of violence. violence, Yeah, you know. And I was like, sensitivity, like, definitely, it could be worked on. (laughs) Like, that's Mm -hmm. that's true. You know. But I think that you're right. I think that some of his generational approach, some of it is also like, it's the bluntness that you have to use to. You have to you're talking to different kinds of people in the audience and you know, my preference is to always be like, Well, there are definitely victims in this audience. So they well, were Well, and the- some of
1: them definitely did speak too. Yeah. Like there were survivors who stood up and, and sort of you know, introduced him and who were speaking at other yeah. points in the did day.
0: Did I say victims of survivor? Yes, okay. I'm like survivor,
1: survivor, survivor. <laughs> one one thing that I noticed I was keeping a tally of the number of times he mentioned that he wrote the Violence Against Women Act, which is the nineteen ninety four legislation that authorized a lot of funding for training for law enforcement and judges in how to handle abuse and assault cases i was like shout out omnibus bill yeah like, <laughs> it was a it was a deep omnibus, omnibus bill. like yeah the <laughs> deepest omnibus um, anyway so yeah like all this funding but then also i think was it was pretty culturally important in signaling like and you know and, and biden did talk about this in his speech but pretty culturally important in signaling that these are not private matters within families or within relationships but Like big cultural problems that our institutions need to know how to address. I understand that he sees this as core to his legacy, and it's something that if I had Biden's legacy, I would be bragging up
0: (laughs) for sure. Um, Yeah, I'm like, great pivot from Anita Hill. I mean, never forget. (laughs) Yeah, the the rebrand, like, I'm like, can't touch that. <laughs> um,
1: but uh, at the same time, it was just hard for me. You know, he's sitting in a room of people who have been advocates on issues of violence against women for you know, let's be real, many of them decades before Joe Biden really clued into this issue and. Um and for him to sort of say over and over, the Violence Against Women Act that I wrote. Yeah.
0: We're <laughs> was, all like channeling our Mitt Romney. You didn't write that. <laughs> for sure. And so it, which is which is like sort of
1: it's not untrue, but anyway, so we um we sought out a woman who was uh involved in organizing around these issues and in um involved in some of the big feminist groups that were um, involved in writing the Violence Against Women Act, or providing the information that led to it being written, for a little fact check.
3: I'm Kim Gandhi. I'm president and CEO of the National Network to End Domestic Violence.
1: We sat in the audience today and listened to Vice President Biden's introduction, introductory speech, um, in which he mentioned, "I counted five times I when I wrote the Violence Against Women Act," and I know he was heavily involved, but. I also have a suspicion that there were a lot of other people heavily involved and I'm wondering if you might tell us a little bit more about that process and sure. and how the legislation came about.
3: Sure. Well, he was certainly the he was the Senate sponsor and he was the driving force behind the Violence Against Women Act. It it started out initially, I would say in the late 80s or early 90s with then Senator Biden talking about sexual assault and the idea kind of grew and grew and uh, domestic violence was then added into it and it became a more broad-based violence against women act and of course there were um, you know there were lots of fingers in it because Then everybody started to say, Senator Biden, Senator Biden, is this in there? Is that in there? Well, what about this? Let's put this in there. And so there were uh, lots of organizations, including the Now Legal Defense and Education Fund, the Feminist Majority, National Organization for Women, lots of groups that were involved in different pieces of the Violence Against Women Act, which you might recall was a very, very large, omnibus bill. It was many, many, many pages. And uh, one one title of it was eventually stripped out by the U.S. Supreme Court. It was the Civil Rights Remedy, which many of us worked on and advocated for and was eventually um, overturned by the Supreme Court. But the rest of the Violence Against Women Act stood. So there's no question that Joe Biden is the father of the Violence Against Women Act. But like Every piece of legislation I've ever known of, there are always lots of cooks.
0: Oh, thank you. Um, do you have any follow-up questions about I have it? a question that's completely different. I noticed that you were giving out the um, technology safety tips. And, uh, yeah, you know, I think that technology has taken on this different sphere, especially when you think about the violence against women. And it's not something that's, like, talked enough about in a practical Just way so two things like one where can people find these safety tips online and two um, can you talk to us about some of the work that's being done in that arena to make um, to make life like a little easier for women around the web
3: your first question about where you can find safety tips for being online particularly for victims of domestic violence would be our blog which is techsafety.org and it has pretty much everything you ever wanted to know about things like GPS tracking and keystroke logging and revenge porn and all of the different ways that uh, stalkers or abusers can uh, track and locate and uh, injure online the people that they purport to love and so One of the things that is a mantra for us, if you go back a few years, advocates said, get offline if you want to be safe, if he's stalking you, if you're being abused, get offline, close your Facebook account. You know, you can't do any of these things because he'll find you. And that's exactly the wrong thing, in in my opinion, to say to a victim of abuse, that you have to be cut off from your source of strength and support, and you have to be cut off from your family and your friends, especially if you've fled to flee to another state, and that's a primary way of staying in touch with your circle. So instead, we talk about ways that abusers use tech- misuse technology but that you can use technology to overcome that. And so we a lot of our focus is in training advocates who work for local domestic violence programs and state coalitions so that they can work with survivors on how to use technology safely. Thank you so much. Sure. I was I was looking around to see if anybody from our safety net team was here. Ah. And two of them have two of them have walked seen,
5: up like, such- I'm Rachel Gibson and I'm with the safety net team and I'm Crystal and Barry and I'm with the safety net team
1: so so essentially if you're saying we don't expect you to like not be online at all right like your life happens on the internet and your world is like connected through social media but at the same time like those spaces can be dangerous if you're someone who is a survivor of abuse so what do you tell people about? continuing to be on Facebook or like on social media, but also being a little bit more self protective? Like what, what, what are the things to be aware of? Do you have a checklist or something?
5: <laughs> I don't really know if there's a checklist, but I think really people have to understand that unfortunately, um, in this type of crime, people have to do the work themselves. So they have to collect their own evidence. They have to secure their privacy. They have to do their security tips. Why are we not saying, don't harass online, don't abuse online, don't do these things. Unfortunately, that's not the case. But we tell people always to trust your instincts. If it doesn't feel safe, it's not safe. You're the expert in your situation. So know it. And really, you know, know your security and your privacy settings. Do you really know all 25,000 of your Facebook, Twitter, Instagram friends? So be mindful of your friends. And I always tell people to like, you know, think before you post or, or you post about someone else, get their permission. I have tons of friends, that have babies right now and I will ask them is it okay for me to post a photo of your child because we don't really know if people want their digital information out there we don't know what kind of privacy concerns people have so if you are a friend of someone ask before you post and um,
6: all of that, and then, of course, like changing your password, making sure that that's up to date if that if you think that's compromised, you know go, go like she said, go into your your security, go into your privacy, contact us. we will help you. so you know any you know anything that you think is will be helpful for your situation, do. It.
1: Um, has working on this issue changed how you guys personally feel about your privacy or the way you handle your personal like presence online?
5: Yeah, I think so unless you're BuzzFeed, because I was like, post me everywhere, BuzzFeed. But generally in life, I go about thinking um, about my privacy settings, about my security settings, and I've educated all of my friends and my family, and doing this work has really opened my eyes to thinking about my digital security. I mean, you don't leave your keys laying around for your house or your car, do you? No, and I don't do the same with my passwords or my accounts or my phone. So it's kind of looking at it like that. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. TechSafety.org. <laughs> thank you so much.
1: Let's talk about the last thing we witnessed before we left the summit.
0: I mean, I don't think I have fully recovered. We are here! Michelle Obama and Oprah are friends and they're collaborators and they're conspirators. And they together. were having a good time. They were having to such each a other. good time. Like, yeah. Oprah has been on like a very tight, um, like, glasses game recently oh I'm like, my god I'm like Oprah I've noticed, had a high pony in glasses yeah high pony in uh. glasses and I was like we see you Oprah like this is great and that conversation got so real you know like hearing Michelle Obama talk about like knowing her own self-worth and her own importance and her value You know, just being like a really unshakable person. And so there were all these different themes about Oprah asked her if she thought that like things that she was doing were brave. And she's like, no, they're not brave. They're like (laughs) standard. Like, this is what I do stuff. Like, yeah, she was uh, like, life is hard. <laughs> she like, life is hard. But also just hearing her say that, you know, she's like, if you don't know your value and you don't know your worth, like, mega paraphrasing at this point. But, like, you know, that's, like, when being faithful and authentic to yourself, like, that's when those acts feel like bravery, you know, as opposed to just, like, this is how I should be leading my life. Right, as opposed night. to this is what I deserve and I'm just asking for what I deserve. Yeah, you know, like, I don't know. It was... There's so much Black Girl Magic like happening on stage, and I was like full body chills. I like, have to say that great. like
1: the that that whole like you know two young Black women introducing a conversation between Michelle Obama and Oprah, and like it not being at a conference that's explicitly like about black women. I thought was really great. Like that's like one of those things I always want to see happen. Like I want to see a full panel of women at a conference that's not a women's conference or like I want to yeah. see, you know. And so so that part of it. But then, you know, there's just like I forget sometimes that Oprah just excels as an interviewer, you know, because she's taken on so many other cultural roles that seeing, and obviously I've nev- I have never seen, not obviously, but I've never seen
0: Oprah do her thing. Right, I'm like, I only see this on TV, like which is great. And but it was the-
1: incredible. <laughs>
6: this is a United State of Women. There are a lot of cool men out here. I love let's, the president. Let's give it up for the brothers. There's a lot of cool men out here. For the, for the men out here. I love the president's speech saying you're looking at a feminist. What can men do leaving here? Be better. <laughs> be better at everything. <laughs> be be better fathers. Good Lord, just being good fathers who love your daughters and are providing a solid example of what it means to be a good man in the world, showing them what it feels like to be loved. The fact that I've never experienced abuse at the hands of any man in my life, and that's sad to say that that's a rare reality. So men can be better at that. Men can be better husbands, you know? Be a better employer. You know, when you are sitting at a seat of power at a table of any kind, and you look around and you just see you, it's just you and a bunch of men around a table on a golf course making deals, and you allow that to happen, and you're okay with that, be better. Be better. Be better. Be better. I love that. Just be better.
0: Yeah, no, it was, you know, yeah, it was like that thing where you could tell, you know, like sometimes people interview each other, and you're like, oh, you guys are friends, like, this is why this is going well, you know, and I thought that with them, it was both of those things where you're like, you obviously have a personal relationship, but it's also like the first time that I've like seen Oprah Interview someone and be as self effacing, you know. She was mostly like a vehicle for conversation, that's true. As there wasn't to, a ton of Oprah, right? As opposed to like, I'm Oprah, <laughs> and I'm the be- which you know, like for me was like a draw. I'm like, I don't care who is interviewing who, like, <laughs> this is right. two amazing people. But I don't know, I thought, um, I thought that they were both like very generous, like with with their ideas and their kind of their views about like what it means to be a woman just like going through life. And I don't know. I I really, I like, I love, I love hearing that from like power women from not power women, like saying like, I know, like I know myself and you can't shake me. I just love women who are confident and secure. I'm like, yes. And obviously there's no room for imposter syndrome in this room. (laughs) Like Thank you. We
1: heard from so many women who are clearly really confident and rooted in themselves. But I think there was something great about hearing one of the women that we admire as like a public figure and as an activist and everything else say Directly, like a lot of my power comes from the fact that I know myself and I'm happy with myself and I feel good about myself. Like it's it's so implied most of the time. No,
0: totally. Like it doesn't come from the fact that I'm married to a powerful man or that I have like a powerful job. It's like, I've always been this person. Although there was a great objectifying Barack Obama moment. (laughs) I I know. And she's like, he's like the swagger moment. I like couldn't handle. She
1: said something like when I watch him walk off of like air Air force Force
0: one, sorry, Marine Marine one. One, Yeah. Into the Oval office. I was like, that's hot. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah which i like never thought barack obama was hot before and i was like oh thanks for like painting that picture also i love how she was like have you seen his walk (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was great but you know like i don't know going back to this confidence thing there were like two other young women today who i thought you know like were so young and were just like
3: incredible
0: incredible barack obama and Valerie jarrett always say that like you can't be what you can't see and and a lot of times I'm just like, uh, how many times are you guys going to say this? And then today I was like, no, I like saw that in action today. Like actually many times. And... I don't know i feel like a lot some of my cynicism like broke today where it was like you know like you sometimes you need some rah-rah empowerment in your life
1: i think i want to be an 11 year old impresario
0: <laughs> <laughs> i know i want to be like an 11 year old like a soda mogul <laughs> seriously <laughs> yeah, like, they were the most
1: like the the
0: most compelling yeah like that little girl is like introducing barack obama and she's like be fearless dream like a kid and i'm like what is happening <laughs> i'm about to cry this is amazing yeah um but yeah i don't know it was just like seeing all of these women who are like this is who I am this is what I do like this is my lane I have no fear and I like I will confidently speak to the things that are important to me that's such a that's a value system I'm down for yeah. <laughs> I was like I'm really glad that we come from like long lines of women who do the same thing and that our community is full of people like that totally you can
1: find us so many places on the internet <laughs> on our website callyourgirlfriend.com uh, you can download this podcast anywhere you listen to your podcasts or on iTunes where we would love it. If you left us a review, you can tweet at us at call YRGF or email us at call YRGF at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, look it up yourself or on Instagram. Call YRGF. Um, Leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Thanks
0: again to our friends at the Harness Foundation and all of the comms people in at the White House who made the day a lot easier for us. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. Gina Delvac, who slept so much equipment. Hello, Gina, did you have a good day today? It was amazing. easy
4: <laughs> now we're see all you gonna stone int- and watch TV. <laughs> <I know. laughs> see you on the internet. See you on the internet. I'm Renee Bracey Sherman, and I will see you on the internet. Hi, I'm Ann Harnish. See you on the internet.